Pursuit of Growth show, where we hold candid conversations with fascinating individuals from all walks of life to learn about their passions, successes, failures, lessons learned, and how they apply personal growth to their lives. We'll end the conversation with key takeaways that we can all implement to better ourselves and the lives of those around us. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and good buddy, Sammy Gonzalez. What's happening, Sammy? Greg, it is happening tonight. I can tell you, I have one of my favorite people in the entire world on just below me on your screen, and I can't wait to introduce him. His name is Dan Miller, and he is an internationally renowned nutrition and fitness expert, developing health and wellness programs for all walks of life. He has presented his strategies to tens of thousands of executives worldwide, helping them to live longer and healthier lives, reducing healthcare costs, and achieving greater personal and workplace productivity. His programs, based on modern medical science in our evolutionary past, target longevity with less disease as their primary goal and are designed to permanently end dieting and allow the body to heal as nature intended. In addition to all of that awesomeness, he is a world leader in nutrition and fitness, he is a 35-year veteran of the martial arts, which we'll get into a little bit later, and a former Guinness World Endurance record holder for the 48-hour treadmill marathon event. Holding three different master's degrees in business administration, strategic leadership, and project management, Dan's ed education transcends nutrition, allowing him to identify with the challenges faced by today's busy executives. He is an entrepreneur, adventurer, scientist, speaker, martial artist, scuba diver, ultra runner, mentor, business owner, writer, and father, and I think most importantly, a friend of mine in this show. So I am so excited to welcome Dan Miller to the Pursuit of Growth show. Good morning, afternoon, and evening. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Things are going fantastic. Thank you so much again for coming on the show. We know you're a busy, busy man. Where are you located right now? Guys, I'm never busy. My life is full, and it's intentionally full, but I'm never busy. So uh, I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania uh, right. today and tomorrow, and then back to spend some time in Minneapolis. Minneapolis. All right, Dan, first question. <clears throat> On your website, you claim that your goal is to die in your sleep at age 113, and that's an important number to you. Tell us why that's important and how you plan to achieve this. Yeah, well, I, so here's what I found uh, in eight years of reading other people that are way smarter than me, reading their work, uh, their books, their published research, is we have the capacity as humans to live into our 100 and teens in our early 120s. That's the capacity of all humans. Uh, and when we look at capacity, don't we all want to live up to our fullest capabilities? And if that's living into our 100 and teens and 120s, then why not make that the goal? And I chose 113 because it's kind of in the middle of 110. You know, Liz Blackburn's research in genetics is saying about 110. David Sinclair at Harvard is saying about 120. I picked a number in the middle that is very important to me because my dad died at 56. So I took his, his age, multiplied it by two, added an extra year for good measure, and came up with 113. So not out of line and not really old when you look at what's happening with modern science and where we're going with uh, things like stem cells even currently or where we may be going in the next 20 years with uh, CRISPR technology mm -hmm. and some of the gene editing that we're, uh, that we're headed towards. I, I picked a reasonably low number 
that sits kind of in the middle. And, uh, and I found out that if you target that, if you target your life to live to 100 or 110 or 120, the side effects that come with those actions are amazing. Mm. Weight loss, better mood, better energy, better relationships, more productivity, smile on your face every day. Those are side effects of targeting longevity actions. What could go wrong? Yeah, I don't, I don't really think a lot could go wrong because, I mean, you're living a happy life, you're living a healthy life, and you're doing it with a lot of people that you want to be around and doing fun stuff that you're doing all the time. So, yeah, what more could you ask for out of life? And we haven't, guys, in this country, uh, if, if somebody's listening from the United States, we have a pretty easy life. Mm-hmm. Even the poorest of the poor, relatively speaking to the rest of the world, are doing pretty okay because there's plenty of food. And, and we're, not, we're not the people that are struggling to eat today. And we're not dealing with diseases like uh, mosquito-borne diseases or diseases of uh, water filtration like some of the undeveloped world is. I think we're doing pretty okay. And it's time for us to sit back and say, look, my life, even if it kind of sucks, it's pretty easy compared to billions of people. I'm going to sit back, relax, and enjoy and ask what I can do for others. Dan, how did this start? You know, most people you talk to, if you ask them about their goals in life, they typically will go to something financial. They'll typically start talking about materialistic type things. I want a house. I want this. I want that. Why health and wellness? What's the origin of how that started for you? Well, you guys, that was me in my 20s, right? I'm a normal human being, believe it or not, despite the haircut and the tattoos, pretty normal dude here. So uh, I was that in my 20s and early 30s. And then somewhere along the lines, I just, I watched. I reflected back on my dad's death, okay? I watched my dad suffocate to death in the hospital. And when you watch a man who's 56 years old suffocate to death, crying, taking his last breaths with tears in his eyes, who's never met his grandchildren, and you reflect back on that and you go, that's not how we're supposed to die. At my mother's death just a couple of years ago, she didn't recognize her family for the last 10 years. She died of seven diseases at the same time. Uh, died in the you know early morning hours in a nursing home, not even knowing where she was, couldn't walk for the last five years. We shouldn't be living like that. We shouldn't be dying like that. So I started kind of on a fluke doing this speaking thing about nutrition, and that led to all the other aspects I talk about now. It's just a natural progression because of my curiosity and my, my science brain that said, well, there's more than just food. What else is there? And how do I look at affecting the lives of other people? And for me is, look, I, I look at this, I've read a lot of really great books. As there's a fantastic book called The Millionaire Fast Lane, where the author talks about, you want to make a million dollars, go affect a million people in a positive way. Just $1 worth of effect on a million people or uh, you know, 100,000 people worth $10 of effect on their lives. So my goal isn't money. My goal is to see how many lives we can change, realizing that the money will come with that. That's how capitalism and society works. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, there's a lot of different aspects we would love to talk to you about in terms of, of the, the health and wellness and what you do. I'm curious to want to talk to you to start out with about food. Yeah. So you mentioned, you mentioned America. So the majority of people that are uh, listening to this podcast or watching this podcast live in a country where fast food, processed food, junk food is available literally all around us. We're a society that instead of drinking water for every meal, drinks Coca-Cola for every meal or soda or some other type of crap. How did we become programmed to eat like this? And 
what are some of your suggestions just to start out with in terms of getting people to understand and put different habits in place in terms of their diet and their consumption? Well, so this is a complicated multi-part question. So let's answer it in little bits and pieces. Uh, we're, we've been programmed since the dawn of humanity to eat like that. Uh, so because of where we came from, when we look at, we can look at all the modern diets in the world, you have to understand system programming to understand why things aren't working, right? When you look at diet failure, 97% of diets fail at five years. Uh, all, so 97% failure rate at five years. If somebody's looking at a business that has that, they're not going to invest in that business. They're not even going to lean that direction because 97% of the time it fails so yet we still buy diet book after diet book and we still go on temporary diets. The average diet lasts five weeks and four days and, and a, a couple of hours. So we don't do well on a diet and that's because of where we came from and how the systems that run the show, whether that's the hunger system or the satiety system or the digestive system or uh, you pick one, muscles, skeletal, cardiovascular, all of these systems evolved for two and a half-ish million years outside and outside for that long, as our systems are developing, food's weird out there. It's not always available. Yeah. So we're driven when we see high calorie sweet foods with some fat in it, shove that in your mouth and don't move. So okay. high calorie, high sugar foods, your trigger as an animal, and we have to realize we're still that, is shove it in, keep shoving it in until it's gone, and don't you dare move. Why would you? It's right there. So then we just get in our car and we drive down the street and we pass 18 places that serve high sugar, high fat, high calorie, hyper palatable, delicious, amazing foods. We're in trouble because every animal on the planet would have this going on because we've lost a couple of the things that brought us to today. And so any animal that we did this to would have the same reaction. Mm -hmm. we're programmed that way because of where we lived and it's again it's because we've lost one of our primary things that got us to 2021 in the first place and that's important because there's some really cool studies out there on that and what is that one thing i was about i was waiting <laughs> yeah yeah well, i was waiting for you to ask because i don't want to just the, 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 easy, the easy question right Guys, I'm a public speaker for a living. I can do this for two hours without <laughs> taking a breath. So, uh, so let's do this. If you look at what humans are, this is vitally important. Sammy, I don't know if you've heard me talk about this yet, but I, I may surprise some people here by just being completely blunt. You are a slow-moving, delicious, wet bag of meat. All you are to nature is bear food. That's it. Yeah. You are middle of the food chain, painfully slow. Your camouflage sucks. You have no night vision. Your claws break off sending text messages. And here we are trying to go do something outside. We're pathetic when we go outside. There is no reason that species should have made it as far as we did, with the exception of two vital words, both of which start with a T. And we've lost one of these, and we're using the other one incorrectly. So the way I see the world, one of those Ts is a little T called tribe. And, and if we go back into our evolutionary past, we relied on each other and we banded together in groups of 100 to 150. That for millions of years, even the odds, okay? Mm -hmm. You're not going to go up against a bear when you weigh 190 pounds. Uh, a bear's four to six to 800 pounds. You will die. You are made of meat and they will have a meal. And nature doesn't even blink an eye at that. She doesn't even care. We're just a blip. Another bag of food got eaten. Who cares? right? So we look at this 
what, what, how is our life even important then if that's what we are? And it's because of the people we surround ourselves with. Mm-hmm. Are we vital, necessary, needed, important, and contributing to a tribe of other humans? That's the one thing that we're losing. We used to live in tribes of 100 to 150. Now the average American has eight close friends. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's a big problem. We went from big tribes where we were valued, needed, and important and necessary to we're just another number on another day to about eight people. So there's the first problem that we're having. And that's why food gets so hard. It's because we've lost our social connections. And there's some fantastic reading by brilliant individuals on that. So where are those social connections? and How do we re-plug into that? The other T that kept us alive for so long was necessary along the way as well. And I always tell people, look, if, if I'm seeing clues, let's remember those clues and go back and make sure we understand that they might be important in the future if they were this important in the past. The other T is a little T called technology. Mm-hmm. Had we not had a big enough prefrontal cortex and opposable thumbs to start picking up technology, early technology was sharpened sticks and stones and fire, and today's technology is a $1,000 phone that I can use as a camera that's a better camera than any professional photographer had just 50 years ago. 50 years ago, yeah. It's, it's insane to me that you guys are in another city, and I'm talking to you on a mm-hmm. flat glass screen looking at a green dot, and then this is happening, and somebody will listen to this in India or Peru, because I'll make sure I share it with my Peruvian friends, and, and maybe they translate uh, to, to uh, Spanish so they can understand a little bit better. Without technology, we wouldn't be here. Without tribe, we wouldn't be here. And now we're using technology all wrong and we're blaming it for a lot of our problems. Mm. And we have very little tribe. Isn't it interesting how the technology is actually separating the tribe, right? So this amazing gift we have in many cases is pushing it apart. In the book that Sammy and I wrote, we have a chapter um, on relationships. And it's amazing. There was a Harvard study that was done over the span of about 80 years. You may have read about it somewhere. It's gotten a lot of attention in the TED Talk, yada, yada, yada. But ultimately, it talked about the people that experience the most joy in life are the people that have the strongest relationships, their inner circle and their outer circle of typically just along the lines of what you talked about, anywhere from 50 to 100 people that they can count on, right? And the people that don't have that live much different lives and have much different experiences than people that are surrounded by people they trust, they they love, they feel needed. Like you said, they feel loved, valued, and they're necessary. Yeah. It's amazing how that backs up everything that Sammy and I have, have poured into that chapter of our book. Yeah, absolutely. You guys, and you can go one step further and just look at what's the worst thing you can do to a human legally. Legally, the worst thing you can do to a human is not lock them in a prison with murderers. It's lock them in a cell alone. Mm-hmm. Right? Solitary just, confinement. Right. So what, what do we do with that? Well, we take that and we go, well, where are we? We're a place where we're using technology wrong. We've lost our tribal connections. Of course, we're going to overeat. Everyone, every other animal on the planet would do the same thing when food is right there. Mm-hmm. So we have to fix this together with a shift in mentality. Because we, we look, we all vote with our dollar. If we all stop going to Burger King, Burger King goes away, right? But we have to fix our mentality first because tasty, delicious food is going to always be a choice for a stressed out animal with no social support. That's just the way that works. And it happens, you can see this in rat studies and monkey studies and dog studies. You can't stress an animal out and take it away from social support and expect it not to be an addict. We just happen to be, I mean, the number one drug addiction in the country is caffeine. 
Mm. You know, and sugar is close up there. If you want to call sugar a drug, I don't. Caffeine maybe, but um, we've got some problems. And the way we fix that is shifting our mentality and relying back on that tribal relationship and going together. And if we don't do that, we, we can't fix it. You know, a big thing that happened, obviously everybody knows this, but you know, 2020 was just a weird year in general, right? We, what happened? we, we encountered some little thing that just kind of, you know, shut down everything, right? And uh, I think that was, you know, from looking in hindsight, right? You can talk to experts or you talk to people that have studied this even further, right? I think at first everyone was scared, right? Everyone just didn't know. It's lack of communication, lack of information, whatever it was. It was pretty novel. Um, but then I think, what did we all do, right? We were, we were told to stay home, right? Stay away from other people. So again, we're, we segment out what that tribe looked like even further. And now granted, we have technology, so we're able to do this, right? We were still able to maintain some very close relationships. Can't tell you the number of times that you, know, you were able to FaceTime somebody during the pandemic. But you know what other worst case scenario could have made us do this and impact us so much more. I think it made things so much worse by having to stay home, not be around other people as well. And it just goes to the point that you just made. Yeah, well, in, if, if we look at some of the measures that are put in place, and I won't comment on the, the public health measures that were put in place for a pandemic. That's not my business. Right. But I can tell you, uh, the early estimates freaked me out right? We're facing a new virus that's going to kill 5% of the world's population. That's freaky, man. Mm -hmm. I'm staying home. I, I'm going to go outside still, though. That's, that was bad advice. Don't go outdoors. That was horrible advice. Outdoors is where we evolved. We should be out there. That's how we get vitamin D, and vitamin D immediately boosts the immune response. So telling people not to go outside was dangerous advice, in my opinion. But um, I, I was willing to, look, I'm not going to go anywhere I don't need to go because 5% death rate, that's like to put that in perspective, people don't understand. That's one out of every 20 people you've ever known in your life dead. Mm -hmm. Okay. But here's my issue with that. That's what alcohol kills every year worldwide. Do we lock down for alcohol? It kills 5% mm -hmm. of the world's population and sales were up 54% last year. Hoping so, so you guys, I look at this and go, stuff's going to come up. We're going to have something worse in our lifetime. I guarantee it. It's, it's how are you showing up for that? And are you 100% or are you just barely clinging to life? Are you treating your body like a $50 million performance machine? Or are you treating it like a rented U-Haul in, in, uh, in some third world country that's got a wheel falling off? Because one of those is going to make it and one of them isn't going to do so well in the next pandemic and we'll, uh, we'll most likely see something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's so many people that were, you know, just unhealthy to begin with. Right. And there's so many people that have been on those yo-yos. Right. And that's one of the best things. And, and I'll give some people some backstory about how we met. But that's one of the biggest things about how you really saw some people take a big shift. Matter of fact, like right out this window right here uh, is my office. I can see, and every single day, this lady would run up and down the street, back and forth. And she would do kind of like side jumps, like all the way down the street and back and forth consistently every single day. And I just found out last week that she told herself that when the pandemic started, the place she needed to go was she one, need to go outside. Number two, she needed to get healthy because she wasn't healthy. And so she made a commitment to run and work out every single day. And she's still doing it today. I watched her do it today. So I'm, I'm, it's amazing to see the resiliency of people once they understand that you do need to take care of all of this that you have because yeah. you only get one of this for the time being. 
Right. That we know of. Who knows right. what happens when it goes away? But yeah. Right. Agree. Yeah. Agree. But so the, so just to get some people some backstories. So Dan, I want to, want you to tell you a little bit more about your program, about what you talk about. But I'll tell a little bit of the story. I saw Dan uh, at a uh, leadership development group called Vistage. And Dan was a speaker there and I was a guest and I got to hear his, uh, his talk. And immediately he and I just connected because I was able to, you know, there's so many things I had been reading on my own, on my own personal journey um, of health and wellness and, and fitness and, and personal development. So you and I really, I, I think we hit it off really quickly and I, I couldn't believe it. I think I went, like I told everyone, I was like, this guy is saying the same stuff that I've been saying. And I'm, I'm nobody. I'm just reading a bunch of books. Matter of fact, you can see them all back there. Um, but then I think I saw you again and I saw the part two. And that's when I was really intrigued. And you really lit a fire under me because I knew what I was doing was right for me. And I didn't know how to convey that to other people. I didn't know how to help other people with that. But so I, I was part of your kind of inaugural batch of coaches. So why don't you tell people a little bit about your program and your system and a little bit about um, you know, what you're doing to help other people? Yeah, well, my system's not my system. It's, I, I just tell people what nature intended animals to do and then put it together in a way that they can easier understand and actually do some actions on because that's the whole goal. You can understand this all day long but if you're not going to take any action, mm -hmm. it's not going to work. Just like, hey, Sammy, you can get bigger biceps by watching a video on bicep curls. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work that way. You have to pick up heavy stuff. So uh, I try to break down nature's rules and what nature intended for your systems into stuff you can do daily or weekly to live longer with less disease. That's the basics of my program. And, you know, I've got uh, eight coaches right now. I train other coaches to do this, whether they want to coach other individuals or whether they want to clean up their public speaking skills and go uh, speak to other groups. I know you guys have interviewed Alyssa, who called me creepy. And I think that's hilarious because it's so true. <laughs> if you don't know me, I am creepy. Um, but I'm also full of love and I'm trying to help people. And, and Alyssa is doing an amazing job. Her growth in the last two years has been astounding to just be a part of and to watch and how comfortable she is talking now is just, I just watched a couple of her Instagram stories today and I'm just melting because she's so good at what she does now. Mm -hmm. And in it shows, she just won a, a very prestigious award for Vistage International, a speaker mm -hmm. award. And so she's doing great, great things. I've got eight folks like that right now. A whole bunch of them are choosing to be public speakers. My goal is uh, the way my business is formatted, I would like to have about 500 to 1,000 coaches doing what we do and help them grow their business to the point where they're affecting tens of thousands of lives every year as well. That's the whole goal. I like what I do, but I'd rather duplicate my efforts and multiply them into hundreds to thousands of more doing the same thing. Dan, this question is another one of those that's going to have a lot of layers to it. But you talked a minute uh, ago about, you know, we have a $50 million machine here. That may even be an undervalue, right? And most of us treat it like a U-Haul that's just basically just bumping down the road. We've just talked about our diet, but talk a little bit more about the things that are important to keeping this thing as a well-oiled machine. Talk about how you teach people to be able to take this body that a lot of people are trashing to get to that point where you're like, hey, we could be maximizing and living into our hundreds. 
Yeah. Well, and the first thing we have to do is square away with people that the fact that living to 113, I'm not going to be in a wheelchair. I'll still be scuba diving. And if you don't believe me, you got to come watch. Mm -hmm. Because I've met guys in their 80s that are snowboarding out of helicopters in their 80s. I I met a Vistage chair, uh, a guy leading 55 other executives in their companies who is 94 years old, still contributing to his tribe. And when you meet Rolf, he operates like he's in his 60s. There's no way you'd guess he was 94. So we have to start looking at old age as not decrepit. And like we're seeing now, we have to start looking at this as the wise old elders that are still able to outrun the 40-year-olds. Uh, that's always my goal is if I'm faster than my kids, I'm doing something right. Might not be faster, but I'm stronger and smarter. And it, just keep that going, right? I, I don't want to start my decline until the day before I die. That's, that's how I plan on operating. And I get that choice because in the country where I live, I get all of the choices. It's, it's, I get to choose what I do every day with my thing. This is my body and I get to pick what happens to it. So what I teach people is what would happen if we just shut the power down. And I, I joke around a little bit that we're one solar event away from everyone living my program. Because mm-hmm. as soon as the power goes off, we're all going to revert back to where we came from, yeah. which is this magical, mystical place called outside. So if anything, I'm trying to prep people for that. Okay? So the first thing is, why would you stress when there's nothing killing you? There's no immediate physical danger. We should not have stress. That's the number one killer in the country. It's 70% of every doctor visit in the United States. of every doctor visit in Europe is stress-related. Why do we have stress when food is eight feet away and nothing's trying to eat me today? Hmm. It doesn't make sense. So we eliminate that because that's our biggest problem. Then we go back to bed because that's a huge issue. Number two cause of weight gain in the country is not sleeping. Who knew? Really? Yeah, there's no napping gyms out there. Who knew? That's above exercise. It's food, sleep, and then movement. And we have gyms and we have diet books and no one other than Dr. Matt Walker is talking about the importance of sleep when it comes to weight. And it's vitally important. We can't reset hormones and enzymes and clear out cellular metabolites from yesterday's food if we don't get good deep sleep and eight hours of it. So we we take stress away, we go to bed, we drink water, which is, this is funny because again, I go back to clues, right? What's the clue? Well, let's go see what any other animal on the planet drinks. And it's the only thing that any other animal on the planet drinks. It's only water. And now the average American is drinking about 16 ounces of water a day. Hmm. And we've replaced it with soda and chocolate milk and juices. and, And we've got medical community saying, oh, that's fine. No, it's not. It's absolutely yeah. not. We're supposed to be drinking water. So I, I like to tell people, look, if you're not doing it for your dog, if you're not giving your dog coffee in the morning because it's got exciting dog things to do and a glass of red wine at night to wind it down from its dog day, then why are we doing that every day to ourselves thinking we're that much different? Mm. So it, it's sleep, it, it's water after we've eliminated stress. Then we talk about food and we show people how to eat. And it's not that hard look outside. If you can find it out there, you should be eating it. That diet is going to be different in Iceland than it will be on the equator. Those diets should be shifting seasonally, plants and animals available seasonally locally as possible with the occasional pizza party and a whole pan of brownies, which means something different when you're in Nevada. Um, 
And, and then we talk about movement and where does movement fit in? Because everyone thinks, well, I have to join a gym to get healthy. No, you just have to move more uh, because we're not moving a lot. So why don't we take a look at foraging and hunting strategies? Because that's how there's still tribes doing that today. That's how we evolved. Forage daily, hunt on occasion, and then kill the weak as often as possible. And, and what I mean by killing the weak, I'm taking some hints from Dr. Yari Laukinen in Finland. Uh, Dr. Laukinen published a 21-year sauna study where he shows how uh, cellular autophagy and cleanup and repair and, and, and some other various physiological mechanisms happen when we put heat stress on our bodies mm -hmm. and what that can do for long-term longevity. So it's just really basically six concepts with an interweaving of tribal relationships and maybe some breath in there as well and, and it's not that hard it's Dan, can you, yeah i was gonna say can you expand on the sauna because one of the yeah. things that when i when i heard you speak last exercise it's so important to raise your body temperature yeah and that was something that really made a big impact on me and it forced me to change the way that i exercised and so i'd love for you to share a little bit more about that yeah, well, so we look at, there's a bunch of mechanisms we can look at here, but let's just look at a couple of the easy ones. Number one, if I can get a, let's say I have somebody who can't exercise, uh, okay. full-blown diabetic perhaps, uh, maybe uh, some mild cardiovascular issues and they're concerned about getting their heart rate too high, so they can't exercise. Maybe they feel horrible about themselves and they don't want to leave the house. If I can put that person in a sauna, which is considered an exercise mimetic, meaning it simulates exercise on a lot of different mechanisms. I can get them vasodilation, meaning their blood vessels are getting larger, which is always a good thing when it's temporary because that means more blood flow to peripheral tissue like their feet and their eyes and their brain, which are wildly affected by uh, microvascular damage and lack of blood flow in a diabetic. So I get vasodilation and I get more nutrients. I also get reduced inflammation in the healthy cells through the activation of what's called heat shock proteins. And these heat shock proteins reduce cellular inflammation because you come out of the heat after half an hour to 45 minutes and they stay on for 22 or so hours when you're out, you get massive inflammation reduction. And that vasodilation that happens when you're hot, when you step out of that environment, comes with some vasoconstriction back to normal. You do that again tomorrow, and then it goes back to normal. That is kind of, it's kind of like doing yoga for your blood vessels, and it leads to what they call increased vascular compliance. And vascular compliance is directly correlated, strong correlations here to less heart attack and stroke because more bendy blood vessels don't crack open as easily as the ones that are stiff and rigid and can't move. So those are just a couple of the mechanisms. One of the main ones is when I put pressure on a system, any kind of pressure, whether it's not eating and I put food pressure on, or whether it's heat pressure, or whether it's cryotherapy and I go cold pressure, when I put pressure on a system, something's going to die. And it's never the strong. The weak uh -huh. die first. So if I can get rid of cellular senescence, meaning those cells that kind of aren't doing their job, that are just pissing every other cell off around them because they're secreting some inflammatory uh, chemicals that make things kind of iffy in their general area. If I can kill those cells by putting heat pressure on the system and I get vasodilation and I get vascular compliance and I get better blood flow and I'm burning calories and I'm sweating, which is a great heavy metal chelator in humans. And I get all these other wonderful things with it. What happens if I can do that every day? 
I can take somebody who has some of those diseases where they can't necessarily go exercise and help them on a better path to where they'll get the energy, where they can clear some of this stuff up easier. And then they get to live a longer life and maybe get it to the point where they can start exercising and then they start sleeping better. And then it's an upward spiral Mm -hmm. because I started with something that guys, saunas suck. Because if you want to put pressure on the week, you got to dial it up. This is We're not yeah. talking about a nice relaxing sauna where you're going to have a glass of wine in there. I'm talking about sitting in a boiling hot room where you're barely clinging to life because that's how you kill the weak. And when the weak die, the strong get more resources and you get to live longer. How long, how long do you recommend staying in a sauna and what temperature? I'm sure it probably varies here or there, but do you have any general guidelines on that? Yeah, well, so I would always counsel people if you're going to do any of that, that you go make sure your cardiovascular system is healthy, because one of the things you'll find is if you have cardiac arrhythmias or, or heaven forbid, you're growing a human inside of you, right? If you have a parasite living inside of you called a baby, uh, you might not want to get in the sauna. So I always tell people, look, if you're going to sauna or exercise, go to a doctor and say, hey, am I healthy enough to do these Mm -hmm. things? And if you are, then I want you to go to your edge, Uh, whatever that means for you. I like to get dicey. Right. I like to put extreme pressure on myself when I'm in that sauna. So I'll go 45 minutes and I've got an infrared sauna that's at 180, 185. Ooh. It's brutal in there. And I love it because I know what's happening when I come out. And you're always smiling because you produce a lot of cannabinoids in your body. These are called endogenous cannabinoids that actually give you a better mood for about 26 hours when you're done. Yeah, I've talked a lot about even like the, the cold shower. You know, the, the cold shower is such a great thing too. And, and we've uh, talked about it on this podcast, on uh, the show before. And I know, I don't, Greg, have you been able to do the, the cold dip yet? Have you turned down the, the, the temperature yet? So Dan, you might remember that we had a huge winter storm in, in uh, February here in Texas, where a lot of us lost our electricity and our, our hot water. So I went without hot water in my apartment for about a week and a half. And I thought, wow, what a great opportunity to take this knowledge that I've learned about the benefits of cold showers and apply them. I'm a big wimp. And I will admit, I got into that cold shower the first day and turned it on. And and quite honestly, my cold shower, I think is better described as freezing cold shower because it was 10 10 degrees outside. Well, I screamed as loud as I could scream, got through it. And for the next week, I literally would do this. I would turn my, my water on, I would get my hands wet and get my body lathered, then I would get the soap and get it on me, then I would literally coach myself up, I would scream, get in the shower, turn it on, and in 20 seconds, I would wipe myself off, turn it <coughs> off and get out, dry myself off, and then say, God, I hope I never have to do that again. But here's what's interesting. I felt amazing after doing that. My body was alive. I like all those little aches and pains that I had, you know, seemed to just magically disappear. And while I'm not consistently doing it, it taught me a lesson that I do need to start incorporating that back into my day. And it's all mindset. So it's, uh, I've just got to get my mind ready to be able to do it and understand the why behind it. Right. So Sammy, if you'll, if you'll challenge me on that, I will make it a goal. You're bringing it up here on the show. I will incorporate the cold shower back in my life and I'll stick with it. Well, I can tell you this much. There's so many different aspects of the program and, and that, that Dan teaches. But then Dan, I've had the chance to personally spend some time with you and learn a little bit more about the science behind it. Learn about you as a person. And I think that's one of the more fascinating parts of, of 
getting to know you is learning more about you. And I want the audience to know more about the, about you itself. So take us back, right? Take us to that, that spark, right? What, what was it when we've got to touch on it now, what was that spark to get on that Guinness world record holding endurance event? Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> what are we at 18 19 years ago should we do the the scooby-doo like doo, 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 doo. Oh, right yeah. <laughs> so uh, i was a fitness manager at a sporting goods retailer and i was in charge of ordering all the treadmills and making sure that the the fitness shop was in line and doing the ordering for that and i was reading this uh, treadmill catalog from this manufacturer that was bought out by nautilus and uh, on the back of their catalog they bragged about how tough their treadmills are these treadmills are so tough that paul shields still remember his name uh, mm -hmm. over in Europe, spent 48 straight hours on one of their treadmills and broke the world distance record. And I, uh, I made the mistake of using my outside voice. Have you guys ever done that? <laughs> uh, I looked at that and said, I could do that. And uh, I had some folks around me that said, no, you couldn't. And that kind of pissed me off. Mm -hmm. So later that day, I called the treadmill manufacturer. I said, I'm doing a world record event in three months. I need two custom calibrated tread treadmills sent up to the store. And I did it because somebody told me I couldn't and it pissed me off enough because I, look, I was trained in old world martial arts, right? With the mentality that if that person can do it, you can do it. You just need to figure out how. No excuses. If they can do it, you can do it. You just need to figure out how. So uh, I took that mentality um, that I've been training in since I was 12. And I brought that to a treadmill event where Paul Shields broke a world record on a treadmill and I figured out, well, if Paul can do it, I can do it because he kind of looked like me. Well, here's my secret. I'd been a runner for three months when I said that. I wasn't a runner, but I've been an athlete most of my life. And, and you know, I've been training for some pretty high-end martial arts tournaments in my teens. So I looked at that and said, well, how, do, how did Paul do it? And it turns out, you guys, to break a world record on a treadmill or any running event, you just have to go left foot, right foot that's it it's left foot right foot and you have to do it more times than the previous person and then you have that event taken care of right so there's no magic in it it's just can i do it better than paul so i set out to do that and i did and and then a year later it was taken back over to europe and i've never looked at it since <laughs> uh because now it's well over double what i what i broke it as because i was breaking record that record particularly before the internet before ultra running was a real big thing and before guys like dean Carnazes, who doesn't produce lactic acid were were doing a lot of this publicly and and uh so now i think he has that record now i don't even know but the guy is superhuman because he's got a, one of those weird anomalies where he just doesn't get tired like normal people do how long did it take you from when you decided you were going to break that record to you actually did it what was the time I link between I have three more months because I told them I need a custom calibrated treadmill and deliver it on this date. And as soon as they were delivered, we set it up and I started the next day. Wow. So, yeah. So I was a runner, a runner for six months. My longest run prior to my world record was 30 miles. Wow. Okay. I went for two days straight. I only got off to use the bathroom and change socks. That's it. I'd eat walking. I moved between two and six miles an hour for two straight days. Wow. You know, I don't even know how fast I'm a very slow runner. I don't even know how fast I might need to track that one day and see how fast I'm going because two to six for that long. It is amazing. It's, it's, it's ultra human. 
let me tell you, there was a lot more two than there was six, but that's, that's what happened <laughs> getting that edema in your legs because you're not accustomed to doing that thing. So it took me two full weeks to recover and stop limping. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Slept Damn. for 20, 26 hours after that event. So I lost an entire day due to sleep. Wow. I don't recommend wow. it. hundred percent. 10 out of 10 do not recommend. Yeah. So one of the things that we were the folks at Guinness, that's a really good way to get one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we have known about you that I want the audience to also know is your routine, right? I want to know, I want them to know a little bit about how you live your life too, because it's fascinating and you practice what you preach. So what are some yeah. of the routines well, and some of the habits that you have that you think also that people can implement pretty easily? Yeah. Well, so this is weird because my routine is going to vary when I'm wake up in a strange hotel in Pittsburgh versus when I'm home. But I like to wake up in the morning, get some water in my body first thing, because I just spent eight hours dehydrated. So water first, uh, and then usually get into the sauna before I like to start that coffee ritual. So uh, it's water than sauna. And I like to start my day that way, because in that sauna, I can also meditate. Mm -hmm. So it's water, sauna and meditation. And that's a great way to set the tone of my day. I'm killing the week. I'm hyperheated. And you guys, heat is the number one way to wake a human up. Second is light. So heat then light. And I'm in a sauna with both of those things, bright red light, lots of heat, tons of water, get out, clean up in the shower, and then sit down and do my little French press coffee ritual, which I look at coffee as a ritual, not as a necessity. I very rarely wait in line at the airport for it. I like to do this as part of my little morning thing, take a couple of supplements in there and, and do that. And then it's go about whatever work might need to happen that day, which you guys, I don't work very hard. This is not work for me and my presentations aren't work for me. Uh, so uh, go share knowledge with other people, make sure I have lots of movement. For me, a really low day of movement when I'm tracking it is 14 to 15,000 steps. That's a low day. Um, so I, I stand up a lot. I don't sit down very often and just lots of movement. And then I'll eat my first meal somewhere between one and two. And usually I'll try to get a workout in before that. So a kettlebell workout or some sort of heavy stuff in my hands. So I'm putting some weight on my skeleton and in my grip. Um, and I do that before I eat my first meal. I'll eat one meal at around one to two o'clock and then a second meal closer to seven, sometimes as late as eight o'clock. Uh, and then in between there, it's just doing life and, and being awesome. And then it's uh, time to get ready and wind down for bed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So the daily routine really, I mean, when we're in it, it, it just kind of blends into the background. I don't think about my health anymore because I've made intentional habits. And, and when you look at first, they suck because you got to go do them. But when you make them intentional on a daily basis, they suddenly just start droning into everyday life and you don't even think about it. So I have my, I share my entire protocol with my personal clients. And I say, this is what we're striving to. I share my supplement protocol, my daily protocol with meditation and movement and, and uh, you know, my yearly protocol, what I do for um, uh, quarterly type things, some IV infusions. I use a little bit of modern technology to make sure that I've, I've got that edge and I'm staying healthy. But I'm still not doing any, any injections of any hormones or still not doing uh, anything other than just regular supplementation because I think at 50 years old, I'm a little too early for that yet. 
So I might look at some, uh, some peptide injections when I'm in my seventies, but it's still too early for that right now. Dan, so, but I still, I'm not a, yeah, what's what, that? What type of supplements do you use? Oh God, I've got a list. I, I have a bunch of immune supplements. Those are, that's the primary thing that I'm concerned about is how do I keep that immune system healthy? Mm -hmm. Because that my immune system right now in a hotel room here, I'm, I'm under a barrage of attack. I've got uh, stale air, a weird air conditioner, whatever this coffee filter that's behind me might have had in it if I brew coffee here. I'm walking on carpet that may or may not be releasing formaldehyde and has 10 years worth of other human skin trapped in it. I, like my immune system is getting bombarded with nonsense. So I take three or four immune supplements, uh, vitamin D, fish oil, stuff for long, resveratrol, quercetin, um, so I have a, a giant list. I can share that supplement list with you if you wanted to put it in show notes somewhere. I'd be yeah. more than happy to do that. Uh, Absolutely. CBD, of course, uh, my daily is, is a 100% requirement for a new boosting. Um, so there's all kinds of stuff. And people look at that list and go, you really do this every day? Well, yep. Because I'm trying not to ever be on a medication. I spent enough time in the pharmaceutical industries that uh, I want those guys around. Uh, because if I get hit by a bus, I want the best drugs and the best doctors and the best mm -hmm. hospitals to take care of me because I just got hit by a bus. But my goal is look both ways, never get hit by that bus. And, and I do that with the bus and I do that with diabetes and I do that with Alzheimer's and all the other things that are plaguing modern humans. It's my job to prevent those in my body because it's not all genetics. And, and I think, you know, when we look at longevity experts research in this, the amount of modern diseases that are genetic in nature is almost none. Mm -hmm. uh, most of these are. Uh, Dan, we're having, we're having you freeze up just a little bit right last now. 30 years. You froze okay, up. You froze well, up. I don't like that. How's that? Is that better? We got you back. Yeah, there we go. We brought All back. right. Well, we can we can throw some throw an edit in there or whatever you guys need to do. <laughs> where'd we let where'd we leave off? How'd you miss me? You were gonna put this you were gonna give us the supplement list and we can put it in the show notes. Yes. So I will give you that list and, and you can stick it in the show notes and, and people can look at what I do and and that's just to counteract what we're encountering on a daily basis. So the goal is stay off drugs, get on the supplements so that you can stay off the drugs because the supplements very rarely have side effects. The drugs all do. And yeah. sometimes we don't want to see that. And my time in pharmaceuticals taught me enough that I don't want to be on those products unless they're necessary. It's my job to stay off of them. That was one of the emphasis for me to actually make a big change in my life was because I had, you know, I was, I was overweight. Um, I was, I had a bad habit of, of eating just junk, you know, and just, and um, we talk about this in the, a little bit about in the book, but I talk about it freely as well. But I noticed I, I went to the doctor and they gave me a little pill and it was like, mm -hmm. oh, this is going to clear up your high blood pressure. Um, but you know, it's not that bad for you and you're okay. You're like, close. Well, the next time I went to them, they're like, well, you're going to need a little bit more of that little pill, um, but don't worry, the pill will take care of it. Well, what that was telling me oh, the whole time was that I'm losing control of what I can do. I'm just allowing, I'm succumbing to what something else can do for me. And I remember thinking we were going on a trip one time and I forgot those pills. And I was like, what's going to happen if I stop taking these? Like, 
am I going to die? Like, I don't know. I'd, I'd never asked that question. So it freaked me out. And I said, I don't want to be on these things ever, ever, ever again. And I was on a very low dose of a very little pill. And so, but a part of the, again, the motivation to get off those, I didn't want to, I don't like to have to rely on things to work for me. I'd rather work for myself. And I think that was a big mindset shift for me. Right. Well, and so because we're, there's 8 billion of us and we're all biologically different, I've encountered folks that if they don't, or if they're not on some form of medication, they will die. Mm-hmm. Right. They just, their body won't do it without some pharmaceutical intervention. I've met those folks. I've actually counseled some of those folks through programs that they're going to need that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not most of us at all. It takes a little tweak in our daily actions to get rid of most pharmaceuticals that Americans are taking. We're just not willing to put in that effort. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you guys, here's how I look at the whole world it, is if you realize how powerful you are, it's really hard to sell you stuff. So I want to keep you in fear and, and help mm-hmm. you realize, that, hey, this is out of your control. You're going to need me. You're going to need me. You're going to need my program. You're going to need to spend this money. You're going to need this drug. You're going to need this doctor. You're going to need this procedure. You, there's nothing you can do about it, Sammy. Well, mm-hmm. and a lot of people like that because they don't want that power. And I guess every single week of my life, I quote uh, Marvel comics. And, and it's this quote from Spider-Man, uh, from Uncle Ben, with great power no, comes no, great responsibility. And people don't want it because life is shitty already. And now I have to take care of myself. This is ridiculous. I'm going to let somebody do it for me. So it's, it's just that we just don't want it back. And I'd rather operate in a body where I realize I'm in control. And 90-ish percent of how long I live is up to me. The other little tiny fraction of, a, of percentages is thanks to mom and dad. Or damn it, mom and dad, right? There is a genetic component to some of this. And some folks are dealt a really crappy hand of cards where they're going to have a genetic anomaly where they have to be on a larger pill the rest of their life. That's not most people. And it's amazing how a small tweak, well, for you, Sammy, it was a fairly substantial reorganization of your entire mentality and your daily actions that changed it. But it's possible for most of us. It's just we don't want to put in that effort because initially it's hard. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I would remind people to go to to go somewhere. You have to step on the gas, and that that you have to use some power to go somewhere. But once you're at a place where you love being, it's way less effort. I'm at a place where I love to be. I don't really spend a lot of effort on my health, and I can deviate a little bit more than most people can because I've been here for a long, long time. Dan, I, I love to hear you say that. Um, I'm 43 years old, and I'm on no medications. I go to the doctor the other day I went to the dentist and they asked me what medications I was on. I told them none. And they were like, you've got to be on something. You're 43 years old. And, you know, I, I kind of laughed. I was like, well, thank you for the compliment. And then they said, wow, we can't believe you're 43. And, you know, I've made it like you talked about earlier. I've made it a habit in my life to exercise, to sleep, to drink water, to focus on my diet, to do all these things that we've been talking about. Now I still have so much opportunity to improve and to even be more consistent this whole pursuit of growth lifestyle that Sammy and I talk about that we live and we're passionate about your health and wellness is at the forefront of the lifestyle and if you ever want to know how important your health is just go talk to someone who doesn't have it and that just goes right back to how we started this show and you gave the example of of just the struggle you saw your dad go through and people ask me all the time they're like how do you have the discipline to 
when you go out to eat, to eat healthy, or to bring your lunch to work every day, or to do all these things. And I said, it's interesting because it's not hard. It's actually more difficult for me to revert back to these bad habits than just to stay on this path of what, what I do now. And I said, I think at the end of the day, I feel amazing because of the way that I'm living my life. Why would I ever go back to doing something different? And that's the message that I'm trying to, to, to share with people. And I'm just interest, interested to hear from you, Dan, when you speak to people, what are some of the things that you say to try to influence people to give up these bad habits they have to follow the, uh, the, the what you said, just the, the, the history of the world telling us this is how we should live? How do you, how do you help people do that? Yeah, well, you guys, I, I end with three questions. And if we answer these three questions, then we should start wanting to do this for ourselves. Because the answer to these three questions will reveal a lot of, of what we're even doing waking up every morning, right? So uh, I end with, but, and I can never inspire people. They will inspire themselves. True inspiration comes from the inside. I can deliver knowledge and stories, hoping that one of those will ring a bell, right? My mom's story. Right. Yeah. But I ask them three questions and I tell them, look, the reason you failed in programs in the past is because you never answered these three questions. And with the answer to these three questions as a starting point, we should want to do better, right? So question number one is why did you even bother getting out of bed today? Like, what the hell are you even doing here? What's the point? Hey, is it to pay bills and to die? That sucks. Is that really why you got out of bed? I mean, that's figure out why the hell you're even getting up. And then tell me how long you want to do it. And then tell me who is supporting you in those efforts. That's, those are my three questions. Why did you get out of bed? How long do you want to continue to do this amazing thing? Knowing that every day when you get up, a six-year-old girl dies of diarrhea because they can't figure out water filtration in a foreign country. You are yeah. gifted with the ability to carry around a $1,000 phone and drive an $80,000 car at 90 miles an hour down the freeway and it's driving itself and you're complaining about traffic. That's the life you were gifted and you're waking up bitching about it. So why do you even bother getting out of bed? And then how long do you want to do that thing? How long do you want to be a part of your family? Mm -hmm. How long do you want to be an active member of your community that's relying on you where you can give those gifts away? And then who is supporting those efforts? Because you need that tribal support because look, things are going to get in the way. And if we can't rely on our tribe to support us in that, we're screwed, just like any other animal would. I mean, it's the weak that gets left out of the herd that dies at the hands of the lion, the paws of the lion, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's not the strong that stays in and is active enough to stay with that herd. It's the one that gets left behind. And we see that all over. We just fail to acknowledge that's how nature works. You can see that in society. Very rarely are you seeing hyper-strong, well-connected, socially integrated individuals with a powerful why dying early. They just don't. Dan, can you say that one more time? Yeah, which part? That what you just said. That was, I, I want to, I got to get a quote of that. Like, I've got to really just hear that again. About, yeah, so you, you rarely, you rarely see, what did you say? Yeah. Socially, socially, yeah. So you rarely see socially well-connected contributing individuals who have a beautiful tribe around them you rarely see them dying early mark i love that wow 
Sorry, I had to take that note there. I love that too. That's all good. That's all good. I mean, that's and that's how it works in nature, you guys. And we're we're nothing but one of her creatures. We've forgotten it. We've been told we're better than. Look, yeah, we've got thumbs that go this way instead of this way. We've got uh, a prefrontal cortex that allows us to have different thought processes than processes than some of the other animals. So, mm -hmm. so what? That makes us good. You guys, if we go into nature, we're only good at two things: carrying stuff for long distances. That's it. That's all we're good at. Other than that, we kind of suck outside. So we have to make use of what we have. And right now we have buildings and cars and houses and computers and phones. Let's just take that, integrate some tribal relationships in this, and then figure out why. Because if nature doesn't give a shit about you, then somebody does. And that should be your focus. Right? And if you forget, I want we, we just got back from Zion Park last week. Uh, Zion National Park in Utah. If you want to remember how small you are, hit Zion National Park for even a half a day. You're tiny frail and unimportant to nature. You're just another thing blowing in the wind. So if that's the case with nature, then, then we better be important somewhere. And that's our tribe, our church, our family, our business, wherever people are relying on you to give your gifts away. And if we can focus our efforts there, why wouldn't we want to do that for a hundred plus years? It makes no sense that we all want to die. I don't care when I die, as long as it doesn't hurt. You guys, heart attacks hurt. Cancer hurts. Okay, dying in your sleep at 113, holding your great great granddaughter is not going to hurt. That's mm -hmm. how I'm going out. Might be a grandson. I don't know, but I'm not going out like my parents went out. And because I've realized through a decade or so of reading, I'm in control. And if I'm in control, I'm going to make those daily choices that align with me living to 100 and 13. <laughs> there are so many people that, you know, can't get that hurdle, uh, get over the first hurdle, right? Yeah. There's so much information. I, I have even gotten to the point of analysis paralysis, right? You, you go through it. Read. Specifically for me, it's in the overwhelming amount of information in which you want. So just, you want to know it all. For me, it's, it's like in the supplementation side. So this year I added in zinc, uh, curse, uh, it pronounced quercetin or quercetin? Quercetin. Yeah, yeah, I added in quercetin as yep. well. I got D, I got B, I got C. And, you know, I've, I've got my list down. I've, I take some proimmune. I've got some other stuff that I take from time to time as well. But I think so many people just lack that initial first step. And I, and I hope that they realize that some of the things you've already talked about today are some of the easiest things you can do because they don't require you to do so much extra stuff. It doesn't require you to have a gym membership, right? It doesn't require so many extras that you might not have time for, or you might have re not might not have resources for. So, can you provide them with a with a tip or a tidbit of info on that? Easy, right? This, it, look. The technology in the form of tools, that, that's what I call supplements. That's a technology in the form of a tool that I can put in. I have the luxury of being able to do that because I have the financial ability to. Some folks won't. They can't even afford their mortgage, much, much less supplements to keep them healthy. So the free version of this program is available to every one of us. We need to go camping for a week with our family. 
And that's I, everything you do uh, without me telling you what to do, not glamping, you're not gonna take the fifth wheel with the, with the satellite. You're gonna take a tent, you're gonna take your hiking boots or your awesome shoes, and you're gonna take your family on the trail for seven days. I want you to do everything to stay alive out there. And that's how I want you to mimic your daily life when you get back to your house. It's what would you do if you lived outside? You're going to have better relationships with your community because you're going to rely on one another on that trail to keep each other safe. You're going to sleep when it's dark outside because that's what you do in nature because your night vision sucks. You're going to be fishing for your own food or hunting for your own food or gathering your own food. Tons of movement, tons of sun. There's no Wi-Fi signal where you're going, so you're not going to have constant music and inundate yourself with all of this constant entertainment. Your brain will be allowed to wander a little bit more. And there's no stress unless there's a wild, fuzzy animal that eats humans, right? Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a fairly easy life. And you're only going to drink water because you can't carry it all on your back for seven days. So you're going to have to bring a filtration system and you're going to only filter water. There's no soda out in nature. I've looked. I haven't seen it. There's also no wild Dorito migration across the central plains mm -hmm. of Iowa. So you're not going to be eating a lot of Doritos when you're out there. The answer is always step back outside and ask yourself, how would you operate for seven days on a trail with your family? That's going to be the answer to, for what you should be doing daily when you're here in the, the soft, cushy environment and it's always 70 degrees. No stress, lots of sleep, especially when it's dark outside, water more than anything, plants and animals for food, depending on the season, movement, 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 sometimes fast, most of the time slow, and then you're gonna sweat or sometimes get really cold. That It's not that difficult. So the question is always, what would I do if I was outside? And if we can answer that when we're encountering something like, well, I don't know what to eat. This book says vegan. This book says carnivore. This one says high fat. This one says low fat. This one says high carb. This one says low carb. I tell you what, if I read all the diet books, uh, and I have, I've read a bunch, uh, and I looked at all the research, I don't get to eat anything because it's all bad for me, according to one person or another. So I get how people are confused. Uh, let me ask you this. What would you eat if you went outside where you live now? That's what you should probably be eating based on whatever your season is where you live. If I live in Boston in the winter, a vegan diet might not be the best idea mm -hmm. because it's Boston in the winter and there's not a lot of plants growing outside. So if we can just make sense of this by saying, what would I do if I went back outside and this was my only option, like your ancestors did for millions of years, that's what your systems are looking for. And we mimic that as close as we can while staying behind these giant concrete walls to keep the bears out. Dan, I saw you do a presentation. It's probably been two and a half years ago um, that, again, really changed uh, the way that I go about whether you call it supplementation or just um, taking something into your body that comes from the outside, and that is CDB. Yeah. So I would love to hear you talk a little bit about um, what you've learned about um, CBD and, and why you think it's important for people to, uh, to use it. Yeah, so the last two years of my life have been dedicated to researching and reading other people's work on cannabinoids. Uh, mm -hmm. There are over 150 of them, CBD being one of them. Uh, we all know that one. We all know THC, especially mm -hmm. if we like to get high. Uh, there's 148 others. So these plant phytocannabinoids, when we take them into our body, have actions on receptor sites, primarily in a system called the endogenous cannabinoid system. 
And endogenous means from within, cannabinoids means mimicking those of plants, and system means it's an actual system in the human body. So when we look at the human body and we look at the 11 systems we learned about in middle school, right? We'll just name a couple. What's one system that operates in this body that we learned about in middle school? Right? Your respiratory system, right? Res yeah, so respiratory, skeletal, muscular, cardiovascular, right? Uh, neurological. Uh, we can name all 11, but there's a 12th one that control all other 11 systems. And we've known about it since the late 1980s. And there's still not widespread teaching this in all med schools because it's got a controversial word in there that kind of sounds like a plant that we were told to demonize in the 1930s. Yeah. And so this system is called the endogenous cannabinoid system. And anytime we see an overarching puppet master system controlling all other systems in humans, that so closely mimics the plants that they're almost indistinguishable from one another, that's a clue that the system was probably there because the plant was there during our evolutionary past. So that plant, it turns out, they found fossilized evidence of cannabis 21 million years old. Mm. While humans are only two and a half-ish million years old, that plant is 10 times older than humans. So it was most likely around us or near us or somewhere in the environment while we were evolving alongside it. And that's why those phytocannabinoids mimic so closely our own endogenous cannabinoids that we produce on our own. So when we take CBD, it acts a lot like an endogenous cannabinoid called 2AG uh, that we make on our own and affects the system, the endogenous cannabinoid system in a similar manner. And same with THC, it acts a little bit like, like it, a cannabinoid you produce the primary runner beta endorphin, it's actually anandamide. It's one of the major contributing factors to a runner's high is in a cannabinoid literally making you high. Hmm. So if you, this is about that you can nourish the systems keeping and not stressing and then all the things we've already mentioned, but a, a really good way to give extra nourishment to that system is pump some plant phytocannabinoids in there like CBD or CBG for cognitive performance. Hmm. So I've never heard of CBG. Yeah, CBG is a beautiful cannabinoid. Lots of research on CBG and, and uh, some of the anti-cancer benefits that may or may not come with that in certain people. But uh, I like it as a cognitive performance enhancer in my coffee every morning because it's, it's beautiful for the brain and really opens up a lot of things. And I have actually shared a couple of coffee, a cup of coffee, actually a few cups of coffee with you before. And I know your recipe and it is delicious, yeah. but I'm not sure if we had any CBG. I, I have to go back and check my notes. We didn't have that. No, it wasn't widespread commercially available until just about a, a year and a half ago or so. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. My CBD suppliers got some great CBG as well. Yeah. Good stuff in the coffee. Yeah. Well, I know that there's, Greg, I, we can go down this path many, many, many times, but uh, I know we want to be respectful of, of Dan's time. And, and Dan, I know that we could probably keep you here till the end of tomorrow and, and still not even scratch the, the complete surface. I want to touch on one other quick thing and then Greg, you know, let you touch on a couple, uh, one more quick thing and then we can kind of start to, to wrap this up a little bit. 
But something that people may not know about Dan is that Dan is also an avid movie buff. And so, and Greg, I don't even know if you know this, but I don't. Yeah. So I wanted the people to know that Dan isn't just all about health and wellness and fitness and longevity and all that. Dan likes to have fun as well. Like, so Dan, tell us your top three favorite movies. Oh gosh. So there's always a tie for first, mm. uh, but, but I'm going to go old school with uh, an old Hugh Jackman movie that very few people have heard about called The Fountain. All of my, my favorite movies have to do with nonlinear time progression. Uh, so I, there's just something about that that intrigues me. Uh, certainly at the top is Pan's Labyrinth. That's mm -hmm. a Guillermo del Toro uh, film, Spanish subtitles or Spanish film, English subtitles. Love that film. Uh, there's always, somewhere in that top five or top 10 is Lost in Translation with, uh, with Bill Murray. Uh, fascinating from, a, from my perspective. I love when he snaps instead of clapping. Yes, it's, it's just uh, everything, that movie to me was perfect. The way it was acted, the way it's directed, everything about it. That's a, a, a Sofia Coppola movie, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, there's always contact. Uh, that's a beautiful film uh, that that again deals a little bit with that uh, that you know time thing. So there's there's a lot of that. You guys, I'm a real human. I did, life is fairly normal for me. If you met me on a day when I'm feasting, you'd never guess what my job is. And uh, I like to have a lot of fun too. So. Well, that was going to be my, my other question I want to ask you because I remember getting the biggest kick out of you talking about and and forgive me if I get this a little bit off, but typically once a month. You're like, hey, it's time for me to just feast and yeah. eat all of those things that typically the other, uh, you know, the other 28, 29, 30 days of the month that I stay away from. Talk a little bit about what that looks like when you decide, hey, this is the day that I'm going to go to town. Yeah, well, and you guys, I get a lot of crap from from some people in the health and fitness world for not saying cheat meal because they're like, whatever, call it whatever. But that's not how the brain works. Mm -hmm. right the brain works in very specific ways and the words really do matter because of the connotation that they bring with them and in our society saying you cheat always means you're doing something wrong and there should be guilt right and i don't with eight million people starving to death every year on this planet i don't ever want people to feel guilty for eating mm. right if you're eating there's no bad foods there's foods that don't regulate caloric consumption that may or may not be designed to not regulate caloric consumption, but there's no bad food. If you're eating, that means you're living and you're doing a lot better than 8 million people will this year. Most of those are kids. So we're doing okay if we got pizza in our mouth. Stop feeling bad about it. But for me, I choose if I feast, sometimes we do this twice a month, but it's usually only once. If I feast more than once a month, I'm in trouble. I'm going to start slipping backwards in my health. So I use the word feast because it means celebration. And I think we should always be celebrating food. And I feast with stuff I normally wouldn't eat. Things like donuts and ice cream and cookies and things that don't regulate calories for us. And that's my opportunity to keep that good relationship with American food. If I want Taco Bell, I can have it. I'll go to Taco Bell one day a month or, or two, depending on the month, when it's time to feast right? I get to eat however I want to. I choose to eat plants and animals to nourish my body in a healthy way most of the time. And I choose to feast on a rare occasion and just shove it all in there with no regard for what's going to happen next. 
And that gives me a good re emotional relationship with food. It's not doing a, a whole lot of physical damage in the long run. Uh, and it's just a good way to stay integrated. Love that. Yeah. Well, as, as we start kind of wrapping up, um, Sammy and I have two questions that we want to ask you. And then we're going to actually do what I think is our favorite part of the show. We are going to attempt to tell you our favorite three takeaways from this conversation, which right. we'll both show you. We've got a notepad full of notes. Um, so that's going to be a really, really tough task. But one of the things, Dan, that I just love about this whole conversation is what comes really across to me from you is your discipline and a no excuses mentality. And I'd be curious to know, was there anything along the way in terms of life lessons or self-growth or discipline or a process? Can you talk a little bit about how you developed that? And yeah. I'm, curi I, I'm curious to know, I'm not going to say it, but I'm curious to know if what I'm thinking in my head might be something that you say. I'll tell you whether it is or it isn't once you finish. Yeah. Well, so if somebody wants to develop that kind of attitude, start martial arts when you're 12. I got it. <laughs> and go every day and go six days a week and train four hours a day. We went to, we went to martial arts practice six days a week for two to four hours every single day from age 12 till I got into college. And then I was still training, just not quite as much because I, I figured out that there were girls and that takes away some <laughs> of the time from other people in the face. So that process, if somebody's listening and they have kids and they want them to grow up with that, put them in martial arts tomorrow. And my favorite to talk to people about in this day and age, uh, I grew up in Taekwondo in the 80s. Uh, and, and that was good in North Dakota where I grew up because that's pretty much the only thing that was available other than some hardcore uh, old hard style karate. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe I think there was a Kung Fu guy up there somewhere. But now with a prevalence of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, I'm going to tell you right now, if I had my way in our society, every human being would be trained Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. We would have nicer more disciplined, a more regulated society, because we're all deadly monsters who can do some mm -hmm. involuntary yoga with other people. <laughs> and so I think for me, I know that martial arts training saved my life it's in more ways than you could ever imagine. One with my daily disciplines and my habits and that, look, if he can do it, I can do it mentality. Uh, but also in the fact that my reaction time got so much faster and I've saved myself from many car accidents where I could have died mm -hmm. because my reaction time so much quicker because of the martial arts training. So that's it for me. It was, it was that. And, and I'll share that you're never too old. I started doing Krav Maga when I was 40 years old. And that was a huge blessing for me and, and a huge, huge part of my growth um, from here on out. So uh, that's exactly what I thought you were going to mention. So I'm glad that uh, I'm, gl I'm glad that I was right on that one. So Sammy, I'll turn it back over to you. All right. So Dan, hypothetical question here, but Greg, we might have to actually make this a thing. The pursuit of growth I is think going we're gonna have to actually do this. Yeah. Yeah. The pursuit of growth, we're going to create a time capsule and we're going to get a really big time capsule. And we're asking all of our guests, guests to write a note in it to themselves. And we're going to take it and bury it and in 10 years we're going to go and dig it up what would you write on your note what would that note say to you in 10 years are you ready yes laugh more that's it that's it i think that i think there's a secret there that's I, the last 
Sammy, you haven't seen me speak in probably a couple of years, two, maybe three years. Uh, I have integrated more what I think are funny jokes. Some people don't laugh, but that's okay. I do. Um, because I think that's one of the secrets that we're losing with everyone getting so damn serious about everything is that we're just not laughing enough. And look, if you're watching this podcast, your life is pretty damn easy. Take some time and laugh. Like right. it's not that big a deal. If there's no bear chasing you, you're not in immediate danger. Giggle a little bit. We have a really awesome opportunity here to, to, to laugh and enjoy this thing. We only get a hundred and some years in this body. If it's not fun, what's the point? So uh, my, my message to myself would be laugh. And then there'd be a stock tip in there, I'm sure. <laughs> right. So I want to share something because this, if you follow us on social media, this is our Instagram page and Greg posted this for our tip Tuesday. Find yeah, reasons that, to laugh see? a lot. So yeah, that was just shared this week. You know, uh, and that, when it came to me, I was flying back um, from Florida on Monday and my girlfriend's little four-year-old boy was sitting on the row next to us and he was watching a, uh, a children's movie and just laughing out loud. The plane is dead quiet and all you hear is his laughter. And it was one of the most infectious just highs and just looking over at him and seeing how much fun he was having, just laughing, made me think of that quote. And I said, you know what? I need to find reasons to laugh more and it's my choice. A powerful medicine right there. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, Sammy, this is going to be extremely impossible to come <laughs> up with three takeaways each from the last hour and 15 minutes that we've been talking, but uh, I'm going to give it my best shot. But do you want to go first? Do you want to lead off? Yeah, let me start off first. So Dan, I have to tell you, thank you again for not only doing what you do, why you do it, for whom you do it, and for allowing everyone else to take part in, in your incredible life and journey that you're on as well. And I, I for one, am, am just extremely happy to be, to be able to call you a friend, a colleague, a confidant, and someone that I can text regularly and you, and you respond back. It's a novel <laughs> thing. But my, one of my top takeaways that you said this earlier today, and it's something I've heard before, but I like the way you said it, but, but you said set the tone of the day. And that's what you do with your routine in the morning too. And that's something that I do. I constantly have this water bottle, which I got in Colorado Springs when I met you. Um, but um, whenever I met you there for the training, the, um, but you said you do that. And that's the first thing you do, right? Get some water in your system. And that has stuck with me ever since then. I've done it every single day for, and I've taught many other people about that. But I think just overall setting the tone of the day is something that everyone should aim to do regularly all right greg it's your turn dan i want to go back to uh to when you talked about the tribe and it really hit me when you talked about you know we've gone from a, a civilization that at one time had 100 to 150 close people that were our support system now it's, it's typically maybe eight and there's a lot of people that almost view that as like like a trophy like i don't need people and uh, I'm going to be very selective, my friends. So I, I really love the fact that you talked about, you know, we need to feel needed. We need to have, you know, people that, um, that we can support. And one thing that, that I've always talked about, and I've learned this throughout my life, if you really want to grow relationships, find ways to make people feel important. And I really hope people that are listening to this realize the value 
in surrounding yourself with people because there is power in needing people and there's power in needing people to help and support you and then vice versa to give your support to those people that just i don't think that can be just screamed louder and i love just throughout this entire conversation how you really eloquently talk about the importance of the tribe thank you Something that pairs really nicely with that, it was is a common thread that we see from a lot of the people that we talk to. Um, it's about that role, that that guidance and that mentorship. But you specifically said initially it's hard, right? Whatever you do, initially it's hard, but it gets easier. But I think it, it gets easier also whenever you parlay that with a tribe of like-minded individuals who are coming together to accomplish things, support each other, and then to be with each other. So I wanted to parlay that one with Greg's there. So one of my personal passions is really trying to help people in terms of stress, anxiety, depression, fear, negativity, that little voice that's in our head that's telling us that we're not important, we can't do it. Um, all these future scenarios are going to turn out bad, yada, 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 yada. I love how you said, why are we stressed? There is nothing that's trying to eat us. <laughs> Just as simple as that. And... I love how, again, through this whole conversation, you talked about how deadly stress is and how, guys, we live in a world, we live in a society, we live in a culture that we should not be stressing. And that just, the way you framed it, really made a big impact on me, and I appreciate that. Thank you. And my last one goes right back to mentality because we've, we've talked about it from the very start. It all starts up here. It's between, it's between the ears, behind the eyes, right? That mentality that you get up with every single day, make every intentional daily habits and do that with the people that you want to do them with. And the way that you summed it up is more eloquent than me. It's why did you get up? I think that's an amazing phrase to say to yourself every single day, literally open your eyes and say, why did you get up and ask yourself that question? I think that's going to, I mean, it has changed people's lives, but I think if someone can take that from today, just that one question of the, all the great questions, but why did you get up? Well, Sammy, uh, and I'm, I'm going to just piggyback off you for my last one. So, you know, this is, Dan mentioned, that's how he ends his presentation. So that's how I'll end my talk today is why did you get out of bed today? You know, how long do you want to continue doing what you got out of bed to do? And then who can support you on the journey? Dan, that is powerful. And with your permission, I'm going to use that as often as I can. Um, because, you know, when I asked you that question earlier about, you know, how, how can you encourage people or, or what can you do to really get people to start thinking this way? You're exactly right. If you're honest and you sit down and you answer those three questions, where else is there to go? I love it. Yeah, nobody wants to be sick, you guys. You can't give your gifts away when you're sick. So, Absolutely. Awesome. Well, now is the time, Dan. We want that shameless self-promotion. We, we barely scratched the surface on who you are, what you do. So tell people how they can get a hold of you, where they can find you. Yeah, just go to my website. There, all the stuff that we do is there. So it's danmillerwellness.com. Easy. So I, I speak, I coach, I do private events, large public events. Uh, I do small executive groups all over the world. Uh, I, I go international with this message because it's the same. If I find humans, they need the same 
kind of thing. And humans in modern society get the same presentations in Lima or New Delhi that they do here in the US. Uh, you know, you go to some, some other more underdeveloped places, they would have a different conversation, but it's not gonna deviate much from stick with a tribe and how do we get rid of the top killers in this society. So uh, that's it, just go to my website. You can find all about me there. On all of the social platforms, I'm at, at ultrahumandan. Uh, except Twitter, I won't use that platform. It's disgusting to me. <laughs> so no Twitter, but Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn at ultrahumandan. Uh, and then my website is just danmillerwellness.com. Well, I can attest that your website is fantastic. And before uh, we had you on this show, obviously I revisited the website to go through things and just found myself just writing notes on just things that I want to continue to learn and grow and, and apply to my life. And just want to say, Dan, thank you so much for spending your time with us. I can already tell you that Sammy and I would love to have you come back on at some point to continue our discussion, because just like Sammy said, I think we barely scratched the surface in so many interesting conversations. And then quite honestly, I want to ask you why you want to be off Twitter. So I'd love to save that for our next, uh, our next time that we talk together. <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds great. Awesome. Of course, Follow the pursuit of growth. You can go to our website at www.livetpc.com. Follow us on our social media. You can look at other episodes of the Live the Pursuit of Growth show, and you can also check out our weekly blog. And then, of course, for $19.99, you can order the Pursuit of Growth book, um, which a lot of what Dan talks about has influenced um, the lifestyle that Sam and I live, the lifestyle that's described in that book and especially the chapter on health and wellness. And so Dan, thank you so much. This was so much fun. And again, I'm gonna be going back through my notes and, and applying some new things that I realize I can incorporate in habits in my life. So awesome, awesome conversation. Thank you so much. You guys are great. It was great seeing you uh, both and uh, I appreciate you, thank you. I look forward to, to getting in touch with you again soon. I'll be in touch. I'll be down in your neck of the woods in December. Hopefully awesome. we'll see you before then. Yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> well, with yeah. that, oh, go ahead, Sammy. Oh, no, that's it. I was going to say, we're going to wrap this show up. Very Bye. good. Well, peace, Bye. live long, and live the pursuit of growth. <laughs> Safe you. travels, Dan.